welcome to this new episode of the K-Hand Games Podcast. I am your host, Kevin, from K-Hand Games. You know, I was thinking, there's something holding this podcast back. You know, I was just looking at our numbers and just giving it some thought, like, why can't we just break through to that next level? And I thought, it's Bo. Like, Bo is holding us back. So I sent Bo a message. I was like, Bo... It's been real. It's been fun. But you're fired. And I just kind of cast him aside. Who, who's laughing? Who's here with me? Uh, this, is, this is John from Peekabrews. How did you get in this podcast? I snuck in. Okay. Well, I guess the secret's out. I needed a new co-host because God knows I'm not going to do any research. And I'm not going to give out any facts. So I brought in John from Peekabrews. And I figured we'd just start fresh. So how you doing, John? I'm good. Uh, I have one question for you. Okay. You thought bringing in a dumb graphics guy was going to improve this podcast? Look, I feel like no one cares about research and facts. They just want jokes. And the, the time that I've hung out with you, I feel like we always have a good time. So I feel like the dynamic is good. Like what could go wrong? A lot. Well, let's see how much we can go wrong here. Um, so you have a really unique perspective in this scene. I mean, you started out sort of on the other side of things where you were just a fan of homebrew. And I don't even I don't think I know your story of like how you got into it, how you learned about it, you know, how you started collecting so let's just start there. Tell me like how you got introduced to homebrew. Uh, it's, a, it's like a very quick three years, I would say, or a few years ago. I decided to sell all my video game systems, like the ones I rebought out of nostalgia. And I, one day I said, I want to collect just for the NES. It wasn't to try to get a full collection or anything. I just wanted to find out how many I could get. And then it turned into, wait, what's this homebrew stuff? And then I fell down that rabbit hole. Now, how did you, like, where did you see a homebrew? Like, how did you stumble upon one? I, I couldn't even tell you the first time that I read about it or saw something on it. Um, I did see one of the, I think one of the bigger YouTube channels was talking about tailgate party. Oh, wow. Tim will be happy to hear that. Yeah. And I ended up sending him a message after I just bought a card of it. And I was just, I thought that was the coolest thing is developing games for like the peripherals in different ways. And that is one of the reasons I got obsessed with it because I thought that was really cool. And I thought I was only going to do card only for a while. And I bought a, a cartridge of it and then I ended up sending him a message through his uh, whatever, wherever he was selling it from. I Etsy. don't remember. Etsy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So then I, I sent him a message saying, hey, do you, can I get a box and manual with this? Because of course I got like hooked and I wanted to do, <laughs> you know, CIBs on everything. And we, we chatted a little bit, um, but I ended up getting one of those. And that's one of my first memories that I remember like exact moments. Like I doubt it was like the very first experience I had with homebrews, but that was definitely like a big pivotal moment where I'm like, I need to learn everything about this. Like it's the system that I love hate because it kind of ruined my life because I love video games now because of the NES. Yeah. But people are actually making new games for it. And I kind of felt like 
anybody that just clicks for the NES but doesn't care about the new games coming out for it, it's all just nostalgia. I still love it, and I still want to play new games that people are making. So once that happened, it was over for me. Like, I had to keep getting into it. Now, you have a YouTube channel where you and, I guess, a buddy of yours feature different games. Like, how did you... What made you want to... Like, I guess let's talk about why you created the YouTube channel and what kind of things you hope to accomplish with it. That's twofold. That's weird, because one, one is kind of like, like weird, you know, fork in the road for me, and the other one's like something cool happened at work. So uh, Brian, my co-host, me and him work together, and he's a fan of NES. He loves those old games and stuff. So um, the first part would be me and him started to say, hey, let's, you're collecting all, like I was collecting all these games, so he's, we, we started talking about NES and it was like a mutual love and we came up with the idea one night and I don't remember like how it came about, but we're like, let's start trying to crank out all the two player games. Like you come over after work, like, cause I live really close to where we work. I'm like, let's just, you know, have some drinks and beat some two player NES games, you know, and, and start checking those off, like just for fun, you know. And these aren't homebrews at this point. This is just NES no. games. No, this is NES game. I think the first I think the first licensed game we we did was Double Dragon 2. Okay. And we we both have like different like genres that we like, but we were finding like common ground. We just wanted to play games together kind of thing. So it was sure. like kind of like a cool friendship going on. The other half of it is I recently quit my last band and underlying feelings were like I needed a new like creative outlet. So we kind of were talking one day about, hey, maybe we should start a YouTube channel about doing this. And then it just evolved from there. And then that's how Pika Brews got started. We were, uh, we decided, hey, let's focus on home brews because this is like news, like new stuff. It's not just like rehashing all the old stuff over and over again, like some of the channels do. And let's just do our take on it. Um, neither one of us have a lot of time to like do tons of research. So we put our own spin on it and we just wanted something, you know, just upbeat, fun, almost like, Hey, this is kids opening a new game and playing it for the first time. Hey, maybe it'll help, you know, make some sales for developers, but we're having a good time and we want people to, Hey, we're having fun playing these games too. So that's kind of how Peekaboo's came along. Well, that's one of the things I appreciate most about you is that you don't really care about research. So I appreciate that. I don't know how to take that. <laughs> <laughs> it's mostly just a joke, so ignore it. Right, right, right. Um, all right, so was this prior... What, what year did you start your YouTube channel? Um, I would have to look. Like, I'm, I'm, so I've heard you in many podcasts say that you're horrible with memory. Like, I, I honestly don't... I'm, I'm assuming it was... I say it's 2020. I'm assuming it was like the middle of 2018. Okay, so this podcast predates your YouTube channel. That's that's the connection I'm trying to make. Okay, so how did you how did you first hear about this podcast? I can't remember, (laughs) but I'll I'll tell you this. I do know that it was awesome because I got to listen to a ton of episodes and get very spoiled (laughs) about being able to listen to them on a regular, and then when I hit the end. I got pretty frustrated. Okay. You guys don't record as much. <laughs> well, I think that was Bo holding us back. Now that he's kicked to the curb, I think I'm just going to start cranking him out. Because I feel like I can just get on here 
just flub my way through a couple of games, you know, a month. Like I think I can get our numbers up. So okay, right. um, stay tuned to that. Um, so as you know, you've you've listened to all of our episodes now. You've always heard about Bo saying, you know, anyone can get involved in the community. Just go here, and if you want to follow us here, and if you have questions, message us here. You've heard him, I'm sure, talk about doing sprite work in Microsoft Paint. <laughs> Yes. And there, it's almost become folklore at this point that you heard that and said, wow, I can do that. I can work in Microsoft Paint. Like, is it true that him saying that was the catalyst to you getting involved in doing graphics for the NES? Part of that is true, yes. What part? <laughs> the, the part where I read a tweet from you saying, hey, I'm looking for a graphic artist. And since Bo did say that, I did send you some pictures in paint to say, hey, I, I think I can do some pixel art. So when you sent me that pixel art, did you, did you legitimately think that I would pick you? Did you think that you would be working on a Nintendo game? Like, how much stock did you put into that effort? It was, uh, there was nothing I could lose, but at the same time, I believe I sent you a tweet hey, I just want to make a game. I'll do something for free. Here's yes. some work with paint. If it is something you can use, I will use it. But you were, you were serious about wanting to work on the game. Okay, so you know my humor. I was serious about wanting to work on the game, but it was one of those like outs where I could just be like, oh, I was just joking. If you're like, <laughs> Yeah, you could just play it off. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's like, all right, man. I didn't really want to do yeah, it anyway. Peter Bruce was just messing <laughs> with you anyway. <laughs> all right so but no i really really was like if you want to like be serious about it i really was hoping you'd be like hey let's you know let's see what you can do and that's what happened obviously so it worked yes. out you so know? you got on board doing the graphics for any escape any escape gets picked up by indicade nominated for an award in the adaptation category we fly out to california we stay in a multi-million dollar three-story mansion within walking distance to Santa Monica Pier. Sounds like you're making all this up. No, no, like, we've lived this, like, surreal craziness. Like, this was your first project. Like, how did you ever think that sending me that Microsoft Paint pixel art could lead to something like that? No, I never thought that, and it's surreal still. Like, even in <laughs> retrospect, the whole experience is surreal. Okay, so we we do any escape, we kick its ass, we take some names, we go to like an international awards festival, we meet people, we network, that is done with, we start a new project, you know, I get contracted by this TV show, I send you a message to see if you're interested, now you're making a game that's going to be seen on TV all over the world, like where do you even go from here? Like what's next? Down. <laughs> you go down well that could be taking one of many ways but uh yeah, I guess... <laughs> well, you, that's not the way i meant it but what i'm saying right. is you don't get a weird like idea about like delusions of grandeur and you so realize you don't that... have a big head right now like when other programmers come to you and say hey man like i'm really looking for an artist can you help me out? Like you don't say, uh, schedule a meeting with my secretary. Oh, no. I got stuff. Go. Okay. Absolutely not. No, I, 
I'm still down to earth. That sounded stupid just to say that <laughs> by itself. <laughs> but you kind of set me up for that. No, it's still like one of those things. Like uh, my, the only thing is I will do, like if someone said, hey, I like your art, will you try this? I'm going to try it no matter what. And then hopefully if you're cool to work with, everything meshes. That's just how I work. So do you still enjoy it? Like you've, it seems like you came in right out of the gate got in some really big projects like did things that people have been doing this for five years haven't got to experience like do you still enjoy it or is it just like routine at this point do you ever have to like stop yourself and say like holy shit like this is what i'm doing i get to make games for my favorite old system like how do you feel about the whole thing um i never take it for granted and i'm never going to be bored of it like I guess it's been just, what, a year and a half now? So, like, I don't want to speak for my future self. But, no, every time I'm working on something, it's it's one of those things where if you're doing something you love, it's never work. I do agree with that to an extent. Yeah. Until um, you're putting together boxes an entire weekend. <laughs> no, because I still love that. And, like, if, if we did that again, you know, I'm the kind of guy that's like, dude, I'll, I'll use the money I made to fly out and do it again. Like, I wanted that experience, and I would... I enjoy that part of it too. It's just that if someone said Monday through Friday, nine to five, you have to do this. That's a little different. That's when I get a little like, yes. Once you have to schedule your life around it and yeah, it becomes inconvenient. That's no longer fun. Yeah. There's like two parts of me. Like I'm like two different brains where like I need security, but at the same time, like if I have to do a 12 hour day of something I love, but I get to do it on the 12 hour day I want, I'm going to always love it. Right. Yeah. And that's when people like say like, Hey, what'd you do this weekend? It's like, I programmed for 12 hours and they're like, why would you do that? And it's like, (laughs) I like, it's fun. You want to accomplish something. You just keep going until it's done. And then you look at the clock and it's dark outside. It's just weird. Yeah. It's a good time passing. Like you kind of feel like, what did I do to split second? But then you realize I had fun the whole time. So there was no problem with it. All right, so since you started out on that side of things, and Bo always says, you know, to to the listeners, anyone can get involved. Like, what would you say to people who want to get involved but, but maybe don't know how? Like, how would you tell them, since you've gone through it, like, what can they do to get involved? Wow, that that's actually a good question I didn't think of. For me with the YouTube channel, I've never done anything like that before. So with my experience, like I've never done video, I've never written scripts before to have to say in front of a camera. Um, so it sounds cheesy, but it's just get into something, try it, just try it and do it. And if you fall on your face, you do. Like I'm not saying that that channel by any means is successful, but I did it and with the limited amount of like followers we have on that channel um it's still open doors so it's one of those things like if you're not trying you're not going to see what might happen from it so that's so just that's, find some sort of avenue yeah in regards to avenue. homebrew yep right like if you want like, yeah and that could be for anything like not necessarily homebrew but for me it was like homebrew at the time and and i don't want to say at the time like I'm going to move on to something else. Like, it's just like, this is, this is what I want to talk about. And this is what I want to get into. And even if it stayed with just like making, you know, like just playing 
you know, doing like a pre-recorded let's play and writing some sort of intro that, that works with the game or somehow connects to the game, people were watching it and people were saying something and that's all that mattered to me. And even if I kept making the episodes, which, you know, I do want to get back to, but I've just been so busy with like day job and like actually doing graphics for games now, I'm going to eventually get back to it. But if you don't try, you don't know what other doors. So hang on a second. You're saying that you're busy with having a full-time job and working on games that you don't have time. That is true. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to point that out. (laughs) (laughs) You do got me. Cause like I do have conversations with Brian and he's like, he's like, are we going to make another episode? Yes. As soon as I have time, because it's like, it's still a priority. Like I have like three priorities now. Right. It's, it's hard to make time. (laughs) It is. It is like, it is very difficult, but you know, I enjoy doing all three things, you know, cause the, the day job gets you paid. And then Kevin Hanley gets you paid as well. <laughs> and then you make a stupid, you know, YouTube channel. <laughs> all right. Well, let, let's, let's get real here. Like how, right. how pissed is your co-host that you get to actually work on NES games now? Like, does he feel left behind? Like, how's that dynamic changed? Um, it's there. But he's a good sport about it. <laughs> it's there. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely there. Like, I see it. But there's also, like, the, the comments where it's like, just remember what got you there. And that's when you know <laughs> you have a friend because, it's like, he's willing to make light of the situation. Right. Right. And, and we still, like, um, like, just the other day, like, I can't say what game we were playing, but we were playing a two-player game together. And it was a good time. Like, so that's when, you know, like you have a good co-host is like, they're there to back you the whole time. Good. Well, enough about you. I'm tired of hearing about you. I'm, I'm over it. We brought, we brought you on to talk about this new game that you have a couple hands in. Not only did you do the box art, not only did you help do some of the sprite art, but you actually beta tested the game also, didn't you? Yes. And I don't know if that was one of my jobs, but I did, I did it anyway. <laughs> so yeah, we're here to talk about Trophy, the new game uh, made by Gradual Games. Derek, uh, Derek Andrews, we've had him on, and we will have him on again later in the episode. Did this game, and can you tell the listeners, I'm so excited that I get to do it from this side of things, tell the <laughs> listeners what kind of game is Trophy? It is a platformer shooter that's the way i would describe it almost like mega man see the thing is i don't know if that's a good answer because anytime i ever describe a game bo just tells me i'm wrong so i'm going to play bo and i'm gonna say oh john come on platformer i don't know i guess that's a good answer (laughs) kevin why don't you tell me the story of this game so we can get an idea what kind of game it is well, John, as everyone knows, it is a platformer. And, I mean, what more can you even say? But sold. there is a nice... Oh, you say sold? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All I need to hear is platformer. <laughs> That's right. Battle Kid, y'all. No, it's not like Battle Kid. It's like another game, which we will use to describe it in a bit. But the story goes, on the far fringes of space peaceful planet of robots is discovered by two spacefaring computer scientists. 
Jared Sword, and Zella Quine. That's probably not how that's pronounced, but what? Stop making things hard to pronounce, y'all. I'm from the South. <laughs> right. I'm sure that's how it is. So anyways, these scientists, they befriend the, you know, the inhabitants of the planet. They both come back to the Earth. One of them goes mad. One of them doesn't go mad. The one that's mad starts dominating the robots, proclaiming himself Lord Q. For you. Yeah, just abbreviates last name. We don't need the last name. We're just calling ourselves Q. Not like Q from Star Trek. Lord Q. All right. So let's see. One of them comes back. Uh, anyway, the scientist that uh, comes back with one of the robots, they decide that they need to take care of Lord Q, but they can't do it individually. So they combine their forces into a half human, half robot, something rather called trophy, right? Yes. And that's the part I like. I like the fusing part. That's pretty yes. sweet. Yes, like the Borg. Yes. All right. I'm just going to keep I'm, making I'm Star, Star Trek Wars. references. You've been do- doing too many Star Yeah, it's all that I want to do is just go home, watch Next Generation. Um, but can you sort of give me, like, can you describe the gameplay of Trophy? Yeah, if we're going by today's standards, we're saying it's a running and gunning style game. Ooh, a run and gun. Yes. There's some of that in, uh, what was, oh, Cuphead. Yeah, Cuphead. Cuphead. Yeah, not, not unlike Cuphead, but it's a Mega Man. Oh, okay. So it's like a Mega Man type game? Yes. Okay. What else, what else do you want on that? That's, Would you that's say, what it is. like, in Mega Man, when you load the game up, you can, like, choose, like, a boss to go after in any order? Like, is it kind of like that? Yeah. So it's set up, like, for eight levels. And you can play any of those eight levels as soon as you want. You just choose what world you want to to pretty much. And you make your way to the boss and you fight an enormous boss at the end. Now, I feel like they keep stressing how giant these bosses are. Like, oh, uh, even, yes. Even in they? previous podcasts, Bo has stressed. Is how- he exaggerating? No, no, they're big bosses. Okay. I don't know about the biggest, though. Like, he's pretty adamant about how big they are. They are huge, but I didn't do the research because I don't do research. You've already made fun of me for that. Would you say that size matters? All right, there's good silence there. I appreciate that. All right. I was trying so hard to think of something good. (laughs) Silence is good enough. Um, So... I guess there's various enemy types in each of the levels. Like, can you tell me about some of the enemies? Yeah, like so you got you got snail looking creatures that have drilled backs and they chase you. You have like flying UFOs. Okay. You have top hats that pop up. Or are we talking about bosses? Common en- enemies or bosses? No, just common enemies, yeah, yeah. Right. You got we'll get to the bosses hats. later. Yeah, you got top hats in the carnival level that pop out, out of hats and like, you know, use their magic wands to hit you with stuff. Like there's there's a lot of different enemy types so they're pretty unique are they different in every world yeah like some are bouncing at you some are projectiles um some are just trying to eat you pretty much like it's it's pretty diverse like all the different enemy types you're coming after or you're you're fighting after yeah we've we've both had an opportunity to play it pretty uh pretty in depth and it seems like you know there's a lot of 
single screen and then some of the screens scroll. Mm -hmm. Um, It's pretty elaborate, but just like Mega Man, there's ladders and vertical screens, horizontal screens, scrolling. There's, there's a lot going on and these levels aren't short. They're, they're pretty sort of elaborate. And I think that each of the different worlds is very unique um, because basically the story is you're going to, you know, destroy various strong robots in different parts of the world and even outer world. Like one of the levels is called Mars. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, one of them's underwater. One of them's um, in space. There's a lot of a lot of unique areas, which is pretty awesome. I think you did a very great job. Yeah, I actually want to touch base on that too. Oh, like eventually, take, go ahead, talk about it. So that was one of my favorite parts of the game is all the different conditions you had to like adapt to. Mm-hmm. So you have like, should I go over the levels right now? Or yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, all right. So you got the the tundra level. You have snow slowing you down. You have sliding on ice, and that's like normal stuff. But when you add it to like the other levels, which like the quarry, which has like a unique boss, you have Mars, which you're floating around because there's a little bit of a gravity difference. Mm-hmm. Underwater, kind of the same thing as the gravity, but you're underwater. There's no matter which level you're you're playing, there's always like something different that's affecting your main character and i love that about the game yeah you have to learn how to play every level not only to adapt to the new unique enemies for that world but just like you said the gravity the conditions of the terrain you have to learn how to control every level which is pretty cool right yeah now from now let me ask you a question from like a programmer perspective is that a nightmare or is it fun uh, for me, I would think that's a nightmare um, because <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I assume that you are putting all of these added conditions to the normal movement routine to where, you know, if you're on this level, put in this sort of, you know, slow down to your descent when you're jumping or, you know, all these things that you have to add in to just a, a normal movement to where I, I would not want to keep track of all that. But uh, <laughs> that's probably why this game took him three years because he has all of these very unique levels, all of these very unique giant bosses. Uh, and we haven't even talked about the music. He did his own music in this game and it is fantastic. Yeah. I, when you told me that I was, I was blown away by that, to be honest. Yeah, like, it's crazy. Like there's these people in the scene that, are so good at multiple things like it's it's to me it's unfair yeah you want to hate them right like yeah you're doing too many things like calm down dude (laughs) and they do them all so well like i i can be a half-assed programmer i can be a half-assed musician like i can't do graphics worth a damn but like they do these things at like a level that the people that are best in their field are doing like derek is an amazing programmer he's a professional programmer he is a very accomplished musician. Like he just does all this stuff himself. And like, it's just, it's, it must be nice to be able to take exactly what's in your head and all of these facets and fashion them in a way that you want to present to the world. Oh yeah, for sure. I hate him. Yeah. He's the worst. I don't really hate. Yeah. I don't really hate Derek. (laughs) (laughs) So are there like upgrades to your weapons like what kind of things can we expect to find that maybe are secret um there are areas that if you know to the keen eye you'll figure out how to get to them and there are a couple 
I would say power upgrades that Ooh. are kind of neat to look at. Okay. Like I didn't, I didn't enjoy the, the, one of the later ones I found. Um, and then there are obviously things that'll help you like, you know, your health and, and common things like that. But there are interesting things to look for to help you in quest to defeat the giant bosses. So exploration is rewarded in this game. Absolutely. Cool. I really like it. Now, if you die, like, do you have a certain amount of lives? Like, how does that work? Uh, we go by codes to be able to pick up where you left off. So if you, if you defeat a level, I think you get like three lives. Correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, once you exhaust all of those, you get a code. And it will keep track of what levels you've taken out. And then you can just start up again and pick the level you want to try next until you get to the final level. There's, there's a lot of levels. There's eight levels and then boss levels. So there's a lot like in this game. Yeah, and the codes, I was very thankful. They're only like five characters long. They don't have the... <laughs> yeah. the They're not going on for an hour. Yeah, you don't have the 15 <laughs> characters in different languages and arrows and symbols. Like It's just numbers and letters, five of them, good to go. Right. Yeah. I always take cool. a picture with my phone these days. It's just the, the, the time of like putting all those in. Yeah. You want it short. <laughs> so size does matter. It does matter. especially oh, in the, there it is. In the incident when you're trying to figure out if the like lower case. <laughs> yeah. What an case. asshole. Who did that? <laughs> what a dick. He's the worst. <laughs> all right. So the game uses MMC mapper, which I've heard is the most popular mapper used in the licensed era i i was very surprised to learn that i always thought that these advanced mappers were just used in some of the you know more advanced games but apparently more games were made with mmc than any other mapper which blew my mind so there you go Um, but there's lots of cool tricks programming tricks that he uses you know mmc is used to its max potential here he does a lot of cool background scrolling that you know you probably can't tell to the end user but you know, when you're moving around bosses this big, you have to use tricks because you can't do that with sprites. Um, but tell me kind of what you, uh, what did you like or dislike about the, the art style? Uh, the graphical style was pretty, exactly what I want in this type of game. Like the backgrounds, ladders. Are you saying like, that just because you helped with the sprite art? No, actually I was going to get to the sprite. <laughs> okay. I was going to get to that point. The, okay, so... To fast forward to that, the only thing that I wasn't too happy with was your main character. It's my main character? Yeah. What? I'm just kidding. You oh, said- no, no, yeah. No, the, <laughs> the main character. Like okay. The, so it, it's just a generic humanoid robot. But the version I played was different than, you know, what I see today. So, like, they did improve on that. Like, I wanted something, you know a little bit more unique than what I saw at first, but everything else, like you're, you're the enemies are all like, they all have a purpose. You know why they're there and you know what they are. Like the, the graphics are good. Like it's, the environments are immersive, right? All of the enemies fit with the environment that the level is, which is pretty exactly. cool. That's what I was trying to get at. Like they're yeah. all, there's a reason why they're there on that level. Absolutely. Did you have an enemy that you hated more oh, than yeah. any other enemy? Because I definitely do. 
the quarry boss is the boss. Oh, which yeah. one was that? Can you describe so, it vaguely so we don't give too much away? Um, it has a vaguely, huh? And so it has like this power where it grabs you like a magnet. Gets, yeah. Like a okay. magnet. I know the one you're talking about though. And you can't do anything, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that boss sucks. Um, if, if you don't have a, like a, a stroke of luck during that boss, you're you're gonna be frustrated. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I wouldn't change it. That's the thing, because like the the, the it, there's a reason he has that pop. Right. Yeah. yeah. If I if I'm not counting bosses, there was like most enemy patterns I can figure out and make sense of and know how to get around them or kill them without taking minimal damage. But there was one enemy that my brain just can't figure out. And I don't know if he just jumps too far for me to understand or what it is, but in, I don't remember the name of the level. It might be forest or jungle or something, but there's a tiger or a lion that I just, it bugs the shit out of me because like, I'm just running along and he's like jumping into the screen at me and I just can't get away. I can't get away. Like leave uh-huh. me alone. I just, I want to live my robot life. <laughs> it is forest. That's yes. the name of the level. And okay. that's one of my favorite sprites in the game. Like, well, that's... you and old dude can go live a happy life away from me. No, no, like... I'm not saying like how he, how it fights. I'm saying like visually graphically. Oh, okay. I like right. the way that thing looks. So I know when you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing that annoyed me, I'm just going to talk about all my complaints at the same time. <laughs> yeah, just During the ocean level, is it called ocean or? Uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's ocean. Okay. Anytime. It seems like if an enemy is on top of the ground and I kill it, it doesn't drop anything. But if he drops an extra man or some life, it always falls either <laughs> onto spikes or into a pit that I can't get to. And it's like, come on, help me. I'm very bad at this type of game. Just help me, help me, help me. Well, you got to stop trying to farm for them. And you wouldn't worry about that. Well, <laughs> but yeah, I know what you're saying. It's always in a position that's above yeah. a spike. It's Murphy's level. Law, man. So did you have like a favorite, like memorable moment? Is there anything from this game that you look back on fondly that stands out more than anything else? Um, I would say the second half of the final boss. Okay. I like that you're keeping it vague. uh, Yeah, yeah. Second half of the final boss, I, uh, by that time, I felt like I've done my part and I didn't care to learn the pattern, if there is one. And I just kept dying because I was impatient. So when I finally (laughs) When I finally finished the, the second half, I was just proud of myself. So are you saying patience is rewarded on the second you, half of the final boss? Yes, yes. Because it is, right. a long, it is a long quest, but like I had so much fun that by the time I was like, you know what? I beat all this. I'm just going to try to just push it, push through it, and force it. And it taught me to just you know, step back and learn it, you know, and not be impatient about it. And so when I finally did that, I was proud of myself. So I really did dig that. And that's like, if we're not talking about the stuff we talked about, like all the different levels, like all the different environments, like that was freaking cool. Like I'll never forget that. 
um, like all the different environments and how you have to adapt to them. Yeah. But if we're talking besides that, yeah, it was that it was that final boss, man. Like I was happy when I beat that thing. Uh, I think my favorite part, and that's just because I'm very bad at platformers in general, and I don't know why that is. Like I just can't seem to improve. Um, but the first time I finally beat a boss in this game, and it, and it was the carnival level. Um, but man, that like clown with the upside down like ice cream cone head when i finally <laughs> like beat him because i like i don't know the proper way to beat him so i'm only hitting him like one or two times per like rotation or whatever he's doing so it took me so long to finally beat it but when i finally did i felt very good about myself yeah i don't see there is no proper way if you beat him that's how you beat him i appreciate you saying that <laughs> did you have a favorite world of all these levels um off the top of my head, it'd be Mars. Mine too, and my reason is, like all of the other levels seem to take place, or could take place in like a planet, and Mars just seems like so random. Like, hey, let's go to Mars now. <laughs> right, right, and you, and you can add that in a game like this because they they, they travel to different worlds. Right. Yeah, I loved Mars because like uh, the gravity just felt different. I have no idea like how on the programming end if it is the same as being underwater but i just liked adapting to the you know being being a little floaty but then i also had to figure out it felt like i couldn't get on certain platforms because of the spikes because i just i had to time it right and then like i had to relearn yeah how, how to get on this platform without immediately shifting myself into the spike and i had fun doing that plus the it pretty well it was like a little more like eerie for that yeah. level. And I was just like, this, this is cool. Like I, it got me a little bit more into it. I know what jumps you're talking about. And I had to, my tendency is to push, you know, after you jump to push the direction you need to go to get around the spikes. I always was pushing that direction too soon. Yeah. So I, ha- I had to force myself to trust in the floatiness and know yeah. that yeah. you're going to have enough time to get to the direction you want to go. <laughs> exactly. Anytime you have to relearn a game in the middle of it, you're going to remember that moment. And I think that's, I ended up liking it. At first, screw this, you know, this isn't ex- like, it's not exactly the way I want to play this game. And then you realize it shouldn't be because if it was the same game I've been playing, I wouldn't be having fun, you know? Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, everyone goes into playing a game with whatever preconceived notions they have. And they start trying to play the game they hope it is, but you have to stop and enjoy the game for what the developer is giving to you. It's exactly. their game. It's not your game. <laughs> yep, yep. I agree. I, I'm I'm shocked we have this. Yeah, there's a first time for everything. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about. I mean, would you say the game's fun? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I played through the. I played it a lot, but I also played through it twice for different reasons. And the second time I was kind of tasked on something, I was not bored. So that's how I knew, like, yeah, there's replayability. Like, I didn't, I wasn't like sighing that I got to play this game again. Like, it was a chore. It's like, all right, cool. There's new stuff I got to look for. And I enjoyed it. So, so you answered the fact that it's, you say there's replayability there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So was this, I know that you did the graphics for Eddie Escape and did some testing, you know, as a byproduct of just checking out the game. But what did you think of the process of beta testing this game? Um, 
I enjoyed it. I mean, is is there really anything you say besides you're having fun? You're playing video games to break them, or you're playing them to have fun? Like to me, they're <laughs> they're both equally enjoyable. Like I play games, I think to break them anyway. Like naturally, I just want to see what you can do. Mm-hmm. So I guess if I was a beta tester on it, I still don't know if that's official. I had a blast trying to trying to see what I can find or trying to see if like I can make things happen that aren't supposed to. I enjoy that kind of stuff. It's like problem solving. So if your name is not listed in the beta tester list, will you be upset? No. Come on. You got to be upset. Be, I won't be upset. I had Come fun playing it and I God. did some other things for That's fine. Look, that was I, free. I you want me to play a game before anyone else. I try to surround myself <laughs> with not nice people and I feel like you need to get a little bit more mean. All right, all right. Get Bo, more selfish. Better, Bo, Derek, you better put me as a beta tester in this game. All right, John. You and I, I guess we've had our fun. Um, normally around this time, I'd say, Bo, how has this game been released? And he would give long explanations of the various types, the regular edition, the limited edition, the color variants. Um, but I feel like this episode has been bow-free long enough, so I guess we'll bring him back on, and All maybe right. he can tell us a little bit about Trophy and how it's going to come out. So, Bo, welcome back. Tell us about this game. Oh, how nice. Thanks, John, for <laughs> uh, covering for me with uh, this so far. Yep, I'm doing my best here. He's done a great job. Yeah. yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I trust you, but uh, yeah, you know, being a little close to this project, it was nice to have somebody else sort of cover it. And but with the release, I, I am sort of directly involved with that. So I guess that's that's my territory. That's the only reason I brought you back. I honestly didn't want you. But who else is going to talk about this? Not me. <laughs> So we are going to, the game is probably on Kickstarter right now, if I did my job in time, or about <laughs> to be when I get back, uh, we'll see. But uh, yeah, we're uh, kickstarting it under the 6502 Collective, which I have talked about, I think, or I might have edited it all out because I sometimes do that. It is being released in a digital form. This will be the first uh, release that Retrotainment Games or Soul Goose has been has done with uh, digital ROM. And we've both done Steam before, so that's sort of new ground, which, you know, a lot of people seem to like that ROM, so it seems to be something to do. Uh, I'm sure it'll be pirated, but whatever. We'll take the risk. <laughs> what can you do? Yeah, exactly. It'll be pirated anyways if somebody wants it bad enough. And then there will be a card-only option, uh, complete in box, which is uh, sort of the regular edition featuring excellent, excellent hand-drawn artwork by our very own John here. Oh, geez. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Because I'm here, you're saying that, but I I get it. It's amazing work. No, like you really did a great job. I'm so happy with it. Me too. Me too. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm not one to usually like things like immediately, and this was no different. But eventually, eventually <laughs> it really grew on me. <laughs> I, I can't wait to get the physical copy in your hands. Oh, I'm I'm stoked. Um, and then we are also going to do a limited edition, sort of like a black box style, which I know is not terribly original, but it does look darn nice on a shelf, you know? I agree. Contrary to belief... 
I do still like the black box art style. Eh, it's always been like my favorite. I, I think the cover for Gyromite has to be one of my favorite NES boxes, period. But I might be alone in that. I don't know. But see, even though it's overdone, you can still like it. If you're not liking it because it's overdone, you're just trying to go with the, you know, like the masses. Look, if I want to be a hipster and not <laughs> like popular things, just let me. You do like being on the other side of that fence. That's right. Well, one, one thing I do really like is that Bo is like swamped with Kickstarter stuff right now, but yet still has to edit this episode if he wants <laughs> to get it out before the Kickstarter. I know, it's some crazy motivation, so hopefully <laughs> it'll be out in time. And what else do you want to know? What, uh, what color cartridges are you using? Have you talked about yes. that? I want to oh, know. Uh, so for the black box, we'll do the traditional gray, and that's going to be limited to, I think, 85 copies, uh, because, you know, we have had a bunch of great testers, a bunch of great artists involved, and, you know, several other people that we like to... Uh, we like to, uh, you know, give a pat on the back and say thanks for helping out. And uh, then the regular edition will be in sort of a custom blue color we're doing, which has not quite hit the presses yet, but it Ooh. should be out soonish. Wait, it's a new shade of blue? It will be once it's ordered, yeah. Nice. Ooh, I thought you were just copying any escape. Oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's two against one. I like this. Yes, yes. Now, technically, Spookatron was in blue before any escape was even a thought in your little head. All right, there it is. I'm trying to think. Did any of... Wait, wait, wait. Sneak and Peek was in a blue cart. No, it's like a purple. Really? Uh, Bluish purple. I feel like that game is about as memorable as the color cartridge that it's in. Uh... (laughs) I don't don't know. I can't afford any any of those uh, special old games. I wouldn't know the colors of them. Let's talk price, though. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah, so Trophy uses the MMC3, which is slightly more expensive, but we have still sort of kept the price at about the standard 60 bucks for a regular edition, and then uh, 100 for the limited, and 10 bucks for the ROM. Like, that's... We we decided to go very basic, and you know I've done some kind of wild limited stuff in the past, so this is a bit of a change. I would know that had I gotten my Zero to X limited edition. And again, John, if you just want to stick around and we can get rid of Kevin. <laughs> All right, I do have a question. Any uh, add-ons like posters and stuff with the limited controller skins, maybe? Ooh, no on controller skins. I never grew up using them, uh, okay. so I have no love for them. But uh, there will be a poster, sort of like a blueprint, because, you know, Trophy's a robot, and so it'll... You know, be like a blueprint of the robot. And oh, that's cool. I like that. Yeah, I'm excited to see what happens with that. Uh, we shall see. I had to use Tim's artist for that. Sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. I don't want to see just the cover art for everything, <clears throat> Kevin. Oh. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> no, I just kidding. I mean, when the, when the cover art's that good, you just want to put it on everything. Oh, I can get used to this. I'll be on the show anytime. <laughs> so also for the limited, we will have a numbered title screen, a letter from Mr. Derek Andrews, who we're going to have on in a second, uh, signed by him and numbered, uh, just sort of saying thanks for you know checking out the game. So it's sort of like instead of the certificate of authenticity, which is always you know very 
you just graduated from high school. This is more, uh, you know, a little, a little more personal. And there will be, I'm going to forget something and Tim will probably kill me. But one thing uh, will be a sticker from the 6502 Collective. And I only mentioned that because I wanted to set it as like a big stretch goal. And Tim was like, we can't, we can't set a sticker for a stretch goal, buddy. <laughs> now, in case you haven't talked in detail about what the 6502 Collective is, can you sort of give us a rundown? Because when John got on to talk to me earlier, he did not know what it was. So I don't think that you've really talked in detail about the collective and what the collective is going to collectively bring to the community. You know, I feel like I talk about it all the time, but that's just because I guess I'm dealing with great dealing with enjoying talking. <laughs> with Truth is out. Greg and Tim on a daily basis. Uh, so yeah, the 6502 Collective, once again, I know John's a listener here, so uh, if he doesn't know, then I must not have made my point. Yes, that's what I was going to say. You need to tell the public this is the time. Okay. And so yeah, uh, I got together with Greg and Tim from Retrotainment Games, and you know they do their thing, I do my thing, but we have a bunch of overlap, and so we have formed this sort of joint company not company, joint collaboration, and uh, we develop stuff, for, you know, contract work. Like, I've, we did the Zeo cartridge, uh, the convention quest, the classic Tetris World Championship thing a year ago. And then we've also helped put out games that are, that are done by other people, like Raleigh. And into the fold, then, we also bring... You know, people in the community that are good at doing something. So, like, if a programmer has a game but no art or music, like, we know some people who can do those things, and we sort of help projects get finished that might not otherwise be finished. Or, um, you know, if somebody just wants to up their game a little bit but doesn't know how to go about that, then we can help there. But we also try to, you know, respect what the dev wants. And so, like, for Raleigh... There were no changes made by us. Like that was all done by Chris, and uh, it's you know it's his vision, his game, and we wanted to respect that. So, if a programmer or a developer wants to release something, they should contact you to potentially publish it. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not. I don't like to beat people over the head with that, but yeah, <laughs> we can do that. And where could they contact you? Uh, I don't know. You tell everybody at the end of an episode. It's like 20 minutes long. All right, so let's just wait for that, gang. <laughs> no, we actually have a new website. It should be launched by the time the Kickstarter launch, which is by the time this comes out. So uh, the 6502collective.com. I hope that's the address. So why didn't you go with 6502the.com to match uh, your Twitter yes. handle? Our terrible, <laughs> terrible Twitter, Twitter handle of 6502the. Uh, I... Tim said he had some issues getting it to work. So that's what we have. Fair enough. I just tease. I tease. Yeah. I tease because I love. I, you know, in the past, we've had, whenever we've had people on and switched and all this, like the other person's there getting to listen to the whole episode. So I haven't been able to do that. And I, I'm really curious what you guys talked about. We talked about some good stuff. Don't worry about it. All right. All good things as far as you know. Did John make this an explicit episode? 
He did ask me if there was cursing involved beforehand. I and did. I said, <laughs> I said, Bo never curses. I always curse. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know if I had to go into nephew mode. Cause I, I changed my speak when my nephew's around. So I just wanted, to, I wanted to know the rules. That's all. Yeah. They're, they're safe words. I know that much. <laughs> all right. So let's talk, say people come across this episode. The Kickstarter's already over. Will you be releasing these available after the Kickstarter? Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, like with most uh, Soul Goose games and Retrotainment games, they, they've continued to be offered in one form or another. And especially at uh, local conventions and such, uh, we're actually going to, you know, for the trophy Kickstarter, be at two conventions if you happen to, to be at them. Uh, PAX East in Boston, which is uh, late February, early March, and then the Midwest Gaming Classic in Milwaukee, uh, first week of April, sometime in there. Are you going to use Becker Kit after the Kickstarter? No, we'll probably do. Um, there'll either be a gap for pre-orders, or we might do pre-orders on the on the new site. I'm not quite certain how that's going to work yet. Gotcha. But the the turnaround should be pretty short between when the Kickstarter ends and when the game is released, since it's you know 100% done, barring any little changes we make to it here and there, and it's been thoroughly tested. And yeah, I mean it's all good to go. We just need money for parts and uh, want to make it the the you know give it the uh, give it its due, I guess. I always like that. I don't like waiting for games. I want them right away. Physical version right now. Yeah. The- the Spookatron one went a little long, I'll admit, but uh, that's one of the other reasons why I've teamed up with uh, Retrotainment, because you know they're good at things, I'm good at things, and stuff gets done a whole lot easier this way. I'm also not going to hand-build all the boxes this time. <laughs> why, it's so fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. John and I had a great time with Kendall <laughs> doing that uh, one weekend. Oh, you assembled them. No, I those Spookatron Limiteds, I actually like cut the cardboard, folded it all, put wrappers onto it. Ugh. Yeah, that sounds awful. Yeah, it kind of was. Well, uh, is there anything else you want to say about the trophy Kickstarter or anything about the game? Yeah, no, I'll probably tell you after we uh, talk to Mr. Derek Andrews here in a minute. Oh, we're going to bring him on? Yeah, we might as well. You know, he, you know, I'm involved with the game, but I didn't make it. Derek's the brains behind the whole thing. Oh, man, we should talk to him, I guess. Why do we even have you on? Uh, I think we need to transition to get John off the show. Oh, <laughs> fair enough. John, you guys. you're fired. John, thanks so much for coming on, man. Yeah, no problem. And amazing, amazing box art. Thank you. Thank you. Can you tell the listeners who discovered you? Uh, Mr. Kevin Hanley. Oh, uh, thank you. Can you tell the listeners who gave you the confidence and motivation <laughs> to start drawing and paint? Uh, that's that's kind of uh, it's kind of a false statement. I'm gonna I've what? cleared that up already. You, you'll, oh. you'll you'll hear. Yeah, oh. we talked we talked about it. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna be knocked off my pedestal, aren't you? I? Are, you are. <laughs> All right, thanks, John. Thank you. All right, well, it's just you and me again. I guess uh, that that seems lonely. So let's go ahead and bring Derek on. Thank God. It's getting a little weird in here. Derek, you there? Yep, I'm here. Hey, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you had to. I hope that all of the listeners understand that nice reference. 
I think even Derek does, but how you doing, buddy? Great. How are you guys doing? Couldn't be better. Plumbing in a hotel. What else do you do? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, we, we've talked about trophy quite a bit at this point, but we, we, we need the inside scoop, uh, which, you know, of all the interviews I've done with, with people for the book, yours is not actually the longest. <laughs> At five, five to eight recorded hours, I think. Uh, I know. Holy cow! Yeah. So when I do these book interviews, I, I usually just show up at somebody's house. I'm like, okay, we're gonna hit record now, and we can talk about whatever you feel. But Derek was nice enough that we had like you know dinner and stuff like that first for a couple hours, and then then we got into trophy. But yeah, that was fun. Fun times. Well, I enjoyed it. Uh, but for the listeners that don't want to go through that arduous journey, if we <laughs> go way, way back, where did your initial ideas for a trophy originate? So when I was about 12, um, I was really interested in robots and just in general. And my mom was constantly getting me things that would encourage my interest in robots Um and one of those things was she found like one of my first exposures to uh, anime actually was Robot Carnival, um, and I think it was mentioned in Three Two One Contact because they had a little section in the back about about anime. Um, but I think my mom found or found a copy of it or something, and I watched it and I loved it. And there were a couple of there are actually two skits in it that I was partic- particularly taken with. And I think I, I started drawing robots around the same time. And um, I, I, I started drawing them with, with a ruler because I wasn't very good at just drawing freehand. I had to use a ruler. And, and what can you draw with a ruler? Things that have hard angles and robots have hard angles. So I, was, so I, just, I just started drawing um, a humanoid figure and adding tons of little imaginary science fiction components for his like joints and stuff. And, and uh, came up with something that looked kind of like one of the characters I liked from Robot Carnival. Like it was inspired by it. And um, I don't know why I called him Trophy. I think it's because his head looked like a cup. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. And I, I, have a, I have a distinct memory of working on Trophy in class, I think like in seventh grade. And people picked on me fairly often in school. And I remember one kid being like, Hey, Derek. Is that a Power Ranger? I was like, <laughs> no, no, it's not. That is a burn, too, at that age. <laughs> now, did you name the level, one of the levels is called Carnival. Is that a direct reference to that? That's a great question. Um, no, it wasn't <laughs> an intentional reference. And what was it with, with 90s parents that they all thought we were going to be into robotics and somehow make a fortune? <laughs> what was going on with that? <laughs> so with all of your projects you know Nomalos and Alia were both kind of these things that you dreamt up as a as a child at least, at least Alia with, with that, that core group of guys that you hung out with what drives and, and compels you to finish projects 20 something years later like that were, were dreamt up as 12 as year old Derek Andrews I mean, I just loved those games so much as a kid, and I guess I just, I just wanted to um, 
like the the ultimate form of being a fan of something, I guess, is to just to create something similar, and that's what I wanted to do. And um, I just wanted to make something like what I enjoyed as a kid. Um, but it, it, it's also it's also at least in the case of Aulia, it was was partly a twenty year long uh, vengeance quest against somebody that told me I wasn't going to finish it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But obviously, I made two other games that were not related to that particular vengeance quest. So I think it's mainly that I just had this powerful imperative to um, to create these games. And for me, anyway, the the having them as vehicles for for music was a big deal for me for some reason. So I, just, I love I've always loved video game music. Just loved it since I was little. So there were so many times when I'd sit down and play a game. It doesn't matter whether it was Game Boy or NES or SNES, and I would just like start a level, and I wouldn't even move the character around. I'd just sit and listen to music for a while. So, well, let's let's talk about music for a second then. Uh, no, I, I like the Venge Quest. We should stick on that. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about that too. <laughs> I mean, I had a question later to talk about music, but I'm just going to move it up right now. So, music obviously is is fantastic. Um, you know, I was I was uh, hanging out last night, and I got a message from. Um, John, my graphics guy, who's beta testing right now for a trophy. And he was like, man, who did the music for this game? And I was like, it's Derek. And he's like, no way. Like he, he does the music too. Like he does it all. Anyway, that's just an aside. But um, with, with all the levels in the game, did you write each piece of music as you like finished the corresponding world? Or did you code the entire game first and then come back and write all the music at once? Uh, I think, I seem to recall having written several pieces prior to actually um, beginning development on the game. And then I, I felt like too much time was going by not really getting started with the project. And then I spent a bunch of months building a big chunk of the game. And then I think I took another break that was a few weeks long and just sort of just was heads down composing for like a month or two or something. And then, and I think after that, the soundtrack was pretty much finished. Nice. Having played through the game, Super awesome, super unique. Um, upon first glance, like with the way the levels are structured, it it brought to mind sort of like a Mega Man type game where you're going through different levels and and fighting bosses structurally. That's the way they're sort of laid out in my brain, anyway. Uh-huh. Was it hard to think of unique ideas to bring to sort of this style of game that hadn't been done before? Oh yeah, I mean, I wasn't really trying to come up with something unique. We actually looked at Mega Man for references for sort of general ideas of uh, environment and so on. Everything felt fresh. I don't know if it was the presentation or what it was, but like I can feel sort of a you know a reference back to Mega Man, like as sort of the style and feel of the game. But it, it all felt unique to me. So I don't know, Bravo in that regard. Yeah, I think. Well, I think anytime anyone creates something, even if you even if you're inspired by something existing, just just your your own personal touch is going to be a part of it, and that that might make it fresh. Like if, if somebody today were to compose a sonata in the style of Beethoven, but it wasn't actually one of Beethoven's sonatas, it would still be a, a new sonata that would have that person's own style, even though they were incorporating a lot of stuff from Beethoven. Well, it's that type of thing where you know, like you're inspired by something, you really like something, but you look away from it for. 20 years and you go to recreate it and it's nothing quite like what you had envisioned which which i really enjoy with this process even if it hasn't been 20 years even just a you know a few hours yeah it, it becomes its own thing with trophy being your third project did you set yourself any new challenges in terms of programming 
Yeah, I think I did. I wanted to have moving platforms in the game, and um, and it's got moving platforms, and they were really hard to make work. <laughs> um, and so I felt pretty proud of that. I think that's basically the main... Well, I also wanted to use MMC3 so that I could have things like um, extra CHR space for the animated characters, and also in some cases use a sprite that's baked into the background sheet. That's what enables the water splash to work, um, for example. With Anomalous, you originally published it through RetroZone, which of course became Retro USB and all that nonsense. Later, you published Legends of Aulia through Infinite NES Lives. With this game, you've sort of given the publishing rights to the the 6502 Collective. You know, myself, as someone who used to have a publisher transition to self-publishing, has there ever been any part of you that's had the desire to make the switch to self-publishing? Or is it just like too daunting and stressful to think about and it's just easier to pass it off to someone else? Yeah, I guess I guess I've just never been interested in doing in, in the in the business side of things. Like it's like it's like this purely like for me creating anything, whether it's music or games, it's like a purely selfish, solipsistic thing where I just enjoy being in my creative world and I just I get joy just from the act of creating and I don't particularly mind if it's um, even appreciated by many people outside of that. <laughs> so it's more the process of creating something for yourself and bringing it into the world. Yeah, but I'm happy that it's something that, that people can and, and do enjoy, and it's quite gratifying that that happens. Um, but it's just, I just find it extremely stressful to actually manage the, the sales side of things. Yeah, for sure. It's a pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's there's reward to be had from it, but yeah, it's it's definitely not easy. Um, so I know it's been a while since you were actively working on this project, but do you recall any sort of euphoric breakthrough moments where you were either super happy with an idea that you brought into fruition or accomplishing a programming feat that you had like ran into a roadblock on? Uh, yeah, I'd say I'd say one of the most interesting things to do to solve was making. I wanted to have huge bosses in this game, like huge scrolling bosses. And because we, because I used uh, horizontal mirroring this time around, it enabled me to have large bosses scroll in from uh, above the top of the screen. And mm. the challenge was figuring out the arithmetic so that I could treat the boss as though it was a giant sprite that had an X and Y coordinate that worked exactly the same way as any other sprite. So I could just say the the clown head is at 64, 64. And yeah, you know, if, if sprites could have that many tiles in it, it would be in the exact same position as if you put a sprite and figuring out the math for that was really painful, but I finally got it. And that felt really good because that I could just, I used the same thing for all the, all the, uh, big bosses and so it was easier after i got the first one working that's awesome this yeah. is one of the most impressive parts of the game is that you have pretty much the biggest bosses of almost any nes game period <laughs> i mean homebrew stuff yeah they're the biggest other than like brad smith's frog boss but even with the licensed era stuff there was very few few enemies that were this large or at least this many within one game and i don't know they're neat yeah they're awesome for sure so i think we asked you these questions last time you were on but it'll be fun to sort of see if your answers have changed 
four years ago. Of course they've changed. Four years is a long time. <laughs> uh, so what is currently your favorite homebrew of all time? The answer would have been very easy and, until Maker of Ages came out. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Uh, we got new runners. I love it. <laughs> I think I would still have to say Mad Wizard is my favorite. Yes. There's just something about that game that, that just, I just find it extremely enchanting. The simplicity of it and yes. the atmosphere it creates and the, 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 the rising mechanic is just so different. It looks, it's sort of like a puzzle platformer. And then you get the items later where you can move a couple more spaces and it open, opens up more Metroidvania style. Um, and I also really like the the main theme. I thought it was a really cool piece of music and how he uh, takes the melody out as you go deeper into the earth so that mm-hmm. it gets down to just the baseline on your way down in the earth. And I, yeah, I just think, I just think that game's fantastic. And I'm probably going to play through You're it. You're in my head point. right now. Me too. <laughs> and how many <laughs> games can you say that about, man? That, that's so awesome. Yeah. Usually only yours, Kevin. Nah, I don't, I don't even think my games. No, the uh, Carly Rae Jepsen and uh, Larry. Oh, yeah. Well, that's not really a, a song that I came up with. Um, what's your favorite Pico 8 developer? My favorite Pico 8 developer? Oh, my goodness. There's so many ridiculously talented people in that scene. It's just, it's, it's obscene. If there was one Pico 8 project that you wanted someone who has no idea about Pico 8 to look up, what Pico 8 project would that be? It's called the Dank Tomb, and yeah, so it's it's got this incredible technical achievement in it that looks like a, a lighting effect that he's, he does with, it's all done in code, but it's, it's like he wrote a shader in Pico 8 Lua code. Wow. But aside from the technical wizardry in that game, the game itself is actually a really wonderful, like, mini Zelda dungeon type of game. Like, every screen is its own new puzzle and stuff. And it's just extremely well done and so much fun to play. I just, I had, I had an absolute blast playing that game. I've got to get into this world of Pico 8. All right, Derek, we truly appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on as always. Bo, you got anything else for? Um, just if there is any one particular piece of music that you are proud of that we have not already played on the podcast. Did you ever play the, the ocean tune? I think maybe you did. I think I played the Mars theme last. Nintendo Age is gone, so I can't really check. Uh, so you can really pick whatever. <laughs> I, I would pick the ocean theme. We'll ocean do theme it. it is then. Okay. Awesome. Thanks All for right. coming on. We appreciate it. And I, I, for one, am excited for the world to see Trophy in all its glory. Great. Thanks, guys.
All right. So that was Derek. It's always a pleasure to have Derek on. Uh, we've had him on a few times, but he keeps cranking out such good games. Oh, and we featured his music too, which is always a, a treat. It's not fair that he's so good at everything. Like I was just talking to John about this because he asked me who did the music for Trophy, and it's like, yeah, it was Derek, of course. He's a very talented individual, which is, and he's got such vision for projects, which I enjoy. Yeah. I mean, these, these people do make me jealous, but, you know, they're good to have in the community, for sure. You can do music, you just never do it for your own games. Uh, I mean, there's a difference between doing music and being good at doing music. <laughs> oh, there was a certain Nine Inch Nails cover on Sneak and Peek that I... Oh, yeah, I mean, I can cover songs all day long. <laughs> Quite fond of that one. Just porting music. <laughs> I think it's more artistic than that, but you always downplay these things. So, Kevin, talk yes. to me now. What have you been doing in Life and Love? Oh, you want me to talk about Life and Love? Okay, no, no, just game development. <laughs> We're going to switch podcast topics here. Um, yeah, so last episode, um, I revealed that I was working on a super secret project for a super secret TV show. Um, that is mostly done, still polishing up some final touches. Um, the client actually got the game, uh, last week, I believe. Um, they basically just needed it, uh, enough completed to show in the episode. Um, that was sort of the first stage of things. So sent them, uh, probably 80% completed game. Uh, they shot the episode, I think, on Tuesday. Uh, as far as I heard, it went very well. Um, so I'm excited like, to uh, see. Sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait for everyone to get that joke. Uh, sorry to preview that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've been uh, pushing through to f- finish the game. Um, they sort of they asked for a couple changes, which I've made. Very easy changes, thank God. There's always that fear when you send a game to someone, you know, this is the first game I've been hired to make. So like sending them what you think they want and what they actually want, you don't know if it's going to line up. So I always had that sort of let me brace myself because they might ask for all these swooping, you know, huge changes. But luckily that wasn't the case. Um, So, yeah, I've been finishing that up. Um, Getting a few more sound effects in the game getting a few more pieces of music in the game, just sort of making it the best I can. Um, it's really turning into a fun, fun game. So super excited to reveal what it is uh, whenever I'm allowed to, you know? So uh, I know one of the people who hired me listens to this podcast, so hopefully I haven't revealed too much. <laughs> uh, but uh, there's the teaser for you excited because the game that you've modeled it after that they wanted you to model it after is a game that i never played growing up so this is my once again first exposure to a game or genre thanks to you kevin hanley well it's i never played it either so when (laughs) when they when they told me they wanted it and i think i revealed what game was modeled after last episode um a little bit but i kind of downplayed it in the editing oh okay um yeah, so when I watched, because it's a pretty tough game, so when I watched some YouTube playthroughs of it, I don't know, like, the boss fights in the game 
I don't even know they were bosses. I just thought it was like another enemy, and then oh, the level's done. Um, but the the bosses that we put in this game are so. I mean, I'm not going to say it's like the second coming of NES Christ or anything, but like the the bosses are just so unique. I think it's just they're fun. They're all very different. Um, they all have sort of distinct characteristics. So yeah, I'm I'm thrilled with uh, with what we did with this game. I can't wait for people to play it. Your level two boss was very creative. I will say. Yeah, that's probably my favorite. Level one was good, but it was like you know I've seen this before. But level two was like, oh, you son of a gun! Never thought of that before. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. And uh, yeah, the, the level, the last level's boss, we completely like turn the game on its head. It's like, oh, you think you know what's coming? You have no idea. So very fun. Like the last boss of a uh, Quest Forge. <sighs> Oh, I forgot all about that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, okay. I was just I was just teasing there, but <laughs> it's it's on that level of uh it's on that level of taking you by surprise, I think. Um so after after this game's done, you know, before I started working on this, I was working on porting King's Quest. But that was just sort of uh let me do something to help pass the time because when I don't know about you, but when I'm not working on a game, I feel like I need to be working on a game. Like you just you finish a project and you take like a couple weeks off to like, you know, relax and clear your brain. But then you're like sitting on a couch like I've done all the things I want to do, like I feel lazy now. I need to get back to creating. Like there's that part of you that just needs to create. So, you know, I started Porting some some screens from King's Quest because point and click games are awesome and there need to be more of them on the NES. But when we were working on any escape, John, you know, John came on that project and knocked it out of the park. But you know, he he did so much for me for that project. I have always told him, like, man, whenever you want to make a game, like, let me know. Like, I'll program it for you. Like, you did so much for me on this art. Like, I'll be happy to program whatever you want. Because clearly everyone who grew up with the NES and, and maybe has sort of an interest in the homebrew scene, I think everyone has a game that they want to make in their brain. And maybe they don't know that it's you know a realistic thing that they can bring into fruition, but everyone has that sort of daydream game that they want to make one day if possible. So I wanted to reach out to John and say, hey man, like if you have one of these games that's in your head that you want to bring to this world like let me know i'll be happy to to program it for you so he's uh he's put together some screens um and i'm gonna sort of start programming that when this project's over because uh it needs to happen like i i don't want to keep putting it off i want this game to exist uh and i don't think there are any other games like it on the nes but i don't want to give too much away just yet that can be good or very very terrible it is a uh, drum hero no i'm just kidding that, that's <laughs> that's what justin wants me to make justin neo dolfino he wants me to get like the rock band drums and make an adapter for the nes and program a game to play those drums along with 8-bit music well let's hope that never happens 
Hey, I'd love to play it, but I don't want to make it. <laughs> Shut it, Tangerine Sparkle. <laughs> but what about you, Bo? What have you been doing lately? Uh, I'm, at, I'm at a weird crossroads in life. I'm currently sitting in a hotel room in my own town, recording a podcast. Did your wife kick you out? What's going on? <laughs> no, I think she's jealous that I'm here. Uh, this is what my poor internet connection has brought us to in terms of doing a podcast. I'm in a hotel room. And strangely enough, it's the, it's the hotel that we stayed at twice when we came to visit this town to see if we wanted to live here. Was the same person working behind the counter? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I do know that I'm in the handicap room and the drain smells like a sewer. This is not the hotel I quite remember, but <laughs> the internet is phenomenal. So we're That's just, all that matters in regards to this. Yeah, we're going to call it good and not look too closely at the sheets. And it was, you know, 50 bucks a night. So what do you do? I feel like the listeners are very thankful because this episode is coming out much quicker than the last one. I will say, so there was another hotel in town that had a cheaper price, and I was like, cheaper than $56? That can't be good. And so it was like $2 cheaper. I was like, do I want to risk 54 That one has a pool. Should I stay at that one? And then I was like, no, it has outside rooms, even though this one has outside rooms. And when I drove by it on the way to get here, I was like, oh, why is there a state police and the only sheriff in town in front of the hotel? <laughs> I made the right choice. I think so. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess that's where we're at in life. Um, Look, you didn't let me talk about life or love. So let's, let's, let's wheel it in here. Let's talk about video games. Life is related to video games. I don't know if you know that. Nope, I don't. Well, so you've already heard about Trophy, obviously. We've talked about that. And that has kind of been consuming the majority of my time. And then after that, I'm kind of ready to finish City's End, which... Oh, man. That's exciting. No, it's only like five years done. Well, I feel like every year you're like, this is the year. And then I get excited because city building... Like, I played SimCity a lot on Super Nintendo growing up, but that's the only sort of simulation game I've ever played. So, like, I want to dig into another one. I'm so excited. No, you would, but you're one of the key reasons why I didn't release Cities in back in 2015. What? Tell me what I did or didn't Goo do. You and Mr. Uh, Kevbot played it and were like, no, this game's terrible. I hate it. <laughs> Look, I like, it just awesome. needed... It just needed some. <laughs> I, I need some help. It's like it's like sailing across the sea and crashing into the Rosetta Stone and not knowing how to read any of those languages. It is not how they found the Rosetta Stone. But <laughs> um, glad to see you've been paying attention in history. Class. Look, someone sailed across the sea and then saw the Rosetta Stone. No. Maybe not immediately. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, regardless, yes, City Zen is coming to completion. Uh, we've added sound effects, added tutorials, added. Oh, new you've art. added tutorials? Uh, I have to since I just said that to you and you called me out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll add tutorials or some sort of manual in game. And also, graphics. We might even 
you know, Human Thomas does amazing music, as we both know. And as Indeed. Many, many, many listeners probably know. But the boy can also do graphic art. And no way. Yeah. Oh, you just got to ask him real nicely. Look, these multi-talented people, they're... I don't want to say they're pissing me off, but like I feel like they're showing off at this point. Worst. It's almost like if you're interested in NES homebrew development, please join us at art, music, or programming on the assembly and line. Or. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a bunch of us just just the or. But many people are the and, and they can do everything. So Thomas, I kind of was like showing him the art, and I was like, you know, what if everything just kind of moved and it wasn't this static like chess game, but suddenly everything was alive. And he was like, yeah, I could do that. And so he sends <laughs> me these things. I don't know if I'm going to use it yet, but I'm very excited for the prospect of it, if nothing else. He always seems so chill. Like, yeah, let me see if I can work on this for you. I have an idea. If you don't want to use it, no biggie. Oh, he's great. You know, you know what I'm most excited for in about uh, seven days? Uh, no, I don't. Seeing Thomas. Ah, where are you going to see him? PAX East. PAX East. We are going to show show off Trophy, and of course, Haunted Halloween 86, and Full Quiet, and Trophy will all be in the same mega booth at, well, not mega booth at PAX, because it's like a tiny little booth in comparison to what Square Enix runs or Nintendo runs. But anyways, it's big for us. Nice. uh, Yeah, the... The four of us will be there, the Retrotainment guys, myself and Thomas, and Thomas and I are going to like sneak off and discuss City Zen and sword, ah, unnamed RPG <laughs> and <laughs> various other projects we've been working on together because he's really like motivating. Like as much work as he does on things, he also motiv- he he hassles me, man. Like once a week he's like, "See so you done with that yet?" And I'm like, "No, I haven't looked at it, jerk." Like, <laughs> just leave me alone. But it does force me to get stuff done. So I'm happy for that. And then we, I think today, no, it was today. I don't think it was today. Uh, the Goofy Foot Kickstarter finished up, uh, successfully funded. Steve did an amazing job. And Tim has done, you know, the graphic designs for that uh, project. And I'm going to do the programming. Uh, well, I've started on it. I've got some of it done, but I need to actually you know, finish it. And then, yeah, we'll get that shipped to backers. And then, uh, you know, it's kind of back to the book and whatever else Thomas tells me I need to finish next. Because uh, <laughs> that's a good friend. He, uh, he sent me a message earlier in the week and was like, hey, man. So Boy. is like a WarioWare game type game doable on the nes (laughs) he's always he always has that brain churning he's one of those people that the only way to turn off that brain would be to teach him to program so he'd just get lost for like five to ten years and he wouldn't i feel like i feel like if we do that we would no longer be able to use him for our needs so selfishly i ain't teaching him shit okay i'll try to remember to not teach him anything <laughs> once you start show, showing sergio how to code uh just tell thomas to leave the room and that's the thing like so sergio sort of asked for some help with learning to, to program and stuff and it's just like see you buddy <laughs> we <laughs> it'll be a few years 
Yeah. A, a few good years, though. Good yeah. years. Yeah, good for him. I, but it's like paycheck where you like close your eyes, blink, you don't remember anything, but you suddenly have these skills. Skills with a Z. Always, man, always. <laughs> so what's been going on in the community? Enough about us. We've clearly done the whole episode about crap that we're related to. Thank you again, John, whenever you're listening to this, for coming on and helping with that. But Kevin. Well, I think the... Uh... Is the 2020 Nestev competition, has that come to a close? Or I know it's coming to a close. It is coming to a close because they kind of like goofed on the dates and then did a poll and they've extended it to the end of February, which is like two days before this will come out. So it's probably too late to start <laughs> planning your, your project. Unless you're Rob. Rob can knock out a game pretty quick. Um, between Rob, Nathan, Doug F, and several others, I think they could all knock out games. Uh, whether I don't think we're going to be the ones to motivate them to do that, though. Speaking of Doug F, didn't he release one for the compo this year? Doug F did. You know, he 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 did Jam and Honey, and mm-hmm. he did uh, and several other things. This year, he did a game called Falling Tiles, and when I when I saw the title, I was like, "So it's got to be a game involving, you know, Tetris, falling <laughs> tiles." But what Doug did, of course, in typical Doug fashion, he did a game with a zapper, like a zapper falling tile puzzle game. Ooh, I like Doug's games though, because they they always kind of. They're interesting. Like he, he just goes with whatever's in his gut, uh, which is very admirable. Yeah, I've, I've seen him doing some Super Nintendo stuff lately too. Like he's he's really pushing the limits of uh, his knowledge. It seems like he's on a quest to just learn. Well, I think that's what his NES journey has been. It's just you know a lot of us are hung up on we want to make this or that game or you know, realize some childhood dream or whatever. Doug's just like, here's this technical problem. I'm going to solve it. And then he <laughs> does. And you're like, okay, what next? And then he just is on to the next thing before you can even figure out what he's doing. Well, hopefully he continues to document all of his progress like he did on his Nintendo stuff. Uh, Cause that blog is uh, pretty resourceful. Yeah. Yeah. And Doug, of course, uh, run, runs a wonderful blog that, that actually features a lot of, it draws attention to a lot of people in the community, so it's definitely worth checking out. I couldn't tell you the web address right now, but like usual, you can probably Google it faster than I can tell you. So let's just go with that and go look it up. Now, I know old Bear did a game also, but I don't know how to pronounce the title. Do you have any idea? Yeah, yeah, it's all right which is based off of a mini game called gravitron in the game v exactly you get it like it's like someone just like their keyboard was stuck and they're like oh that's a cool title let's go with it yeah yeah that was definitely that was like a kevin hanley naming incident levels i think hmm so you think this this gentleman was on the the marijuana cigarettes? I you know maybe. Uh, <laughs> well, I you know I don't think Mister T- 
Paul Bear is on the the uh, the cigarettes as you as you call. No, them. no, 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 yeah, definitely not. Him. He flies straight. <laughs> true, but uh, yes, he's a straight shooter. He is in life, but not in game design because he took this Gravitron game from this V and added not one, not two, not three, but four players to it, of course, which means Mr. Tall Bear will come in last place in the competition <laughs> this year. <laughs> I think last year the multiplayer games did well, so they just they wanted to get through the year I was doing things, and then start paying attention to multiplayer games. Yeah, maybe. But uh, this one I have played, <laughs> and uh, it is both very challenging and incredibly addicting, because it's not how well can you do, it's literally how many seconds can you survive. <laughs> And you and you're the game. You're bouncing between the uh, top and bottom of the screen, avoiding mm -hmm. stuff, and you don't get to choose when you bounce. As soon as you hit the other side, you have to go. So like you're always having to like gauge the gap, uh, mind the gap, as the uh, Brits say. And <laughs> it just no, oh, it's it's he sets himself these these small projects that he thinks are so simple, but they're not. They're just, they're just not. It's fun though. I'm glad that he did it. Yeah, it's something. <laughs> and he had music for that done by Chip Jockey, which uh, is not related to Simply Chips from Convention Quest, but we won't fault him for that. Lots of chip names. I wonder if they were a fan of that cop show. Oh, I used to turn it when that came on because that was boring stuff. After, <laughs> after cartoons, like, you know, that, that's boring. Yeah, you know what's not boring? Battlestar Galactica. Oh, my new love. <laughs> Listen, Cylon. Anyways. <laughs> don't I nobody tell me what Baltar's up to, but I am I am so intrigued right now. It keeps me up at night. Okay. He is a fascinating character. Mm, I hate him, and yet I think something's going on there. I'm pretty sure we need to start a Battlestar Galactica podcast. <laughs> Yeah, we could do that. <laughs> so there's another game called Slide Game. Working title. Now, is working title in the title? I feel like that'd be a very Teppels thing to do. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to say that. And Damien is free to take that for one of his projects. Now, the, the puzzle type in this game is pretty unique, right? Well... Yes, because it's based off of real-life experience. Now, I think it's something that all of us have done one or three times. <laughs> Say you're walking down a hallway and uh, you encounter somebody else in front of you, and you both step to the same side. And I always like to hunker down like a football player and like throw <laughs> both my arms out and like, look at him like, hey, what are you going to do now? And they always look back at me like, what are you going to do now? And I'm like, I don't know. Do we go right or left? Right. And usually we move to the same location. Does, does that happen to you? Oh, yeah. And it's funny because, you know, you get frustrated at the other person, but you, I guess, are equally at fault, right? So they would have you believe. Now, my, my most annoying response to this, and I've heard this from numerous older people, um, this happens and they go, one more dance, then I gotta go. Ooh, 
Ooh, nice. I may steal that. Oh, so that clearly does not annoy you like it does me. Well, considering I've never heard it, no. Okay, well, you can use that. I'll give it to you. So, you know, like, of all the compo entries I've ever seen, other than Furniture Fight, which is all about feng shui, this is probably the most interesting concept to me in that this is a real-life experience that has turned into a puzzle game. It's interesting to me when people come up with these game ideas that are so atypical. Like, it's like, what random event can I pull out of life and make it into a game? Like, I don't understand how people see that. Like, I would never even consider, like, oh, let me make a game out of this weird thing that happens once every couple months. Yeah, and I want to. I want to think like this. I want to be like, hey, I just got bad service at a restaurant. Let's make that a game. And it's like, this, <laughs> this isn't a game. This is just this is just me being frustrated. Yeah. But uh, this slide puzzle game is looking pretty good, I think. Now, is there or is there not? I've heard through the grapevine that there is a fishing game. Is this true? Now... I know that you're a fan of fishing games. Yes. And this is kind of right up your alley. It's a fishing game. Ooh. Now, is there more to it than pressing the A button? Because I like my <laughs> fishing games simple, but maybe not that simple. Fishing Challenge 2015? <laughs> I think you are going to go down in history as the only person that made a game where you only press one button and things happen. <laughs> Do, I mean, do things happen? You know... <laughs> oh, we, the seasons do change, so things do happen. We joke about Sneak and Peek, but really the undiscovered Hanley Jim is Fishing Challenge. <laughs> hey, I've heard at least one person really loves that game. Is it, Paul? it might It might be me. Oh yeah, Paul loves it too. Oh, definitely. Paul, uh, <laughs> who we interviewed, jeez, way back in like episode 3 with the HBWC... Mm -hmm. Oh, Paul loves Fishing Challenge, because he doesn't have to do anything. <laughs> right, right. But uh, tell me about this fishing game. Who who did it? Yeah, made by a fellow named Krill, who, which, uh, I don't know what to say other than that fits with a fishing game. Okay. Um, if you were a whale, that's the fish you would eat, even though Krill may be some sort of inverted. Isn't that a sci-fi movie title? Krill. Oh, the krill. Uh, they're an invading species in... Sheesh, what sci-fi universe is that? I Let, let's go on before remember. I don't remember that reference. <laughs> and in addition to these uh, wonderful compo entries, which, you know, we still have a week left. Who knows what could show up? This definitely should have been the year that I entered, since there's only like four. <laughs> but I still would have probably lost two. Untitled Bubble Game. Yes, the heavy hitters from the Micromages team are back. Do they have a name, Kevin? Uh, yes. Studio name? <laughs> I'm drawing a blank. Morphcats. Thank you. You mean, uh, did, did you see that tweet this morning? Someone tagged Megacat. 
Four micro mages. Yeah. Oh, I so did. good, so good. I thought that was yes, that Mega was... Cat. I mean, not Mega Cat. Morph Cat Studios, which is Julius and Nicholas. Uh, yes, the dream team, if you will. Yeah, which of course you know Julius had done uh, Super Bat Puncher, and Nicholas had done I think a Pong game, and then they joined up and they made this amazing thing called Micro Mages, which is the most successful. NES homebrew to date, and also I would call it number one, number two best homebrew game made to date. Um, that's just me. yes, always right behind Indian Sneak and Peek. No, uh, Lizard, but you know. Whatever. Oh, okay. Yeah, but Untitled Bubble Game stars the absolute unlikeliest of heroes. You know, you could think like cute the cat, Hobbit. Hobbit cute penguin, various cute other things, or, again, Hobbit. But <laughs> this game stars a bubble. Oh, okay. That um, does not sound fun in any way. Like, what is the bubble doing? Is it just kind of floating in air? Oh, so I we've had a chance to sort of go through the ROM and stuff. Thank you, Julius. And to be able to give you know, listeners, a, a bit more info all of a day before they actually get to play it. <laughs> but uh, the basics of this game are your bubble, water is your friend, and solid tiles kill you. You get rubber ducky type jumps. Hold A to dive, then release to let buoyancy handle the rest. And that's it. That's all they've, that's all they've told the public at this point. Well, it's it's definitely it's it's funny because I've never I've never played a game with controls like this. Like usually you press A to jump in a game you're, you know, a platformer or whatever, but like this you're holding A and the longer you hold it, the further you dive into the water and then when you release it uses that sort of gravitational pull upward, the buoyancy to shoot out of the water. It's really, it's, it feels real. Like they did a really good job with the physics, unsurprisingly, because, you know, they are who they are. It's kind of like a vertical Angry Birds where you're, you're like slingshotting yourself, but it's always vertically. And right. you're, you're this little bubble who's navigating this water with these like pillars through some ruins or some such. And you will like duck under pillars and then you will like shoot yourself over pillars into the air and then like suck back down and shoot over the next thing and all of that. And then along the way, you pick up power ups that allow you to that allow you to either jump higher or uh, dive deeper, that type of thing. And, and the game ends up playing sort of like. A uh, small Metroidvania, which, you know, if you've played Julius's games before, Super Bat Puncher, Project P, or those, uh, you'll know that this has always <laughs> been a level design that's kind of close to his heart. And so it's exciting to see him develop that, uh, but in a completely different way than just running, jumping, and shooting, or bat, bat punching, whatever. <laughs> and i will say um you know and i don't think that you specified you know a single hit just like obviously a bubble a single hit you die they have generously put checkpoints throughout the game so it's not like you have to 
play through long, long stretches without getting hit. You you know come across these checkpoints at various every every few screens. So it never it, it's it's hard, but it's never so frustrating that you want to give up. And, and it's very much like Battle Kid with the the whole like single screen at a time. Mm-hmm. And the challenges are kind of similar with a very well-crafted, intentional uh, challenges. Like, there's not a lot of room for error. I mean, there, there is. I mean, there's some, you know, back and forth in going up and down, but you've kind of got to nail each of them. But the- it seems to me that the challenge lies within your skill controlling the bubble, though. You don't have to learn and and maybe you do later in the game but it doesn't seem to what i've played that you have to learn enemy patterns that you have to dodge to you know hope that you fluke your way through a screen like it you have full control over the bubble thus far i have seen no enemies in the game i've seen some different um backgrounds and settings and one setting is super cool up in the sky that is not east and i wouldn't say it's clouds but it might be clouds (laughs) very neat like just like you take this simple mechanic that suddenly changes when you encounter a different environment and turns everything on its head but that was super cool but still no enemies and i don't know if they're going to add that in later or if you know, this is just sort of the trial run. You know, Julius has done stuff with the the nested compo for years. Uh, you know, Super Bat Punchers on the one. Banana Nana, I think, is coming out on last year's the 2018 competition. There's a banana. Not the whole game that they made, but still just a segment, which is mm-hmm. amazing. I wish they'd finished that. And you know, he's been around in the nested community since like 2009. Uh, Julius, not Nicholas. And so it's always nice to see he always enters the competition, but it's usually like several months late. And so he doesn't actually place in the runnings in any way. It's just like when you <laughs> finally get the cartridge, it's like, why is this on here? Because he entered. Because it's usually amazing. <laughs> and he's another one of those jerks that uh, can do it all too the programming and the music and the graphics. He can really do everything. And and that's the weirdest thing about him teaming up with Nicholas is that though he can do everything, he has often found somebody else. With Super Bat Puncher, he had... I'm going to blank on the name. He had the uh, one fellow do his music, even though he'd done tons of music at that point, even doing whole chiptune albums. With mm-hmm. Micromages, you know, he did the programming, but Nicholas really did... Uh, all the graphics and the level design and stuff and so it's just it's this this is what makes homebrew great is this this give and take this trading off of tasks and really finding people that are that excel at one area or another and passing it off to them yeah and i think i think that there's something to be said for the shared experience like when i think back to you know, when I was working on Larry and the camaraderie that I had with the beta team, which you were a very big part of at that time. Oh, I forgot about and, that. Yeah, and, you know, working on Any Escape with John and Kendall and Travis, like, sharing the journey with someone, I think, is almost more special than the end product. And I guess that goes, you know, when 
that the journey is more important than the destination or whatever that cliche is like there's a lot of truth to that like you think back to the struggles and the the joys there's just uh there's a lot of fun you know thinking back to going through uh a whole process with someone for me it always comes back to would x project have been finished if so-and-so wasn't involved maybe but it wouldn't be the same you know that is true i mean even if it was finished although in many cases i would doubt it that that something would have been finished i mean thing even something as simple as spookatron i don't think would have been finished without the amazing testers i had james robot did 60 of the 100 levels that's that's more than anybody else did, period. Yeah. Uh, That's yeah, amazing. But even those those guys or gals that added 10 levels, you know, Tanya did like seven, Matt did 10, uh, Fleck, he did 10 or 15. I did like nine, which was pitiful, but whatever. Um, it's just the game becomes who you work with. The incident was that way for you. I mean, you had a, a crack team of people that, Many of them have disappeared, but they came out of the woodwork to make that game what it was. Yeah, absolutely. And without their sort of, you know, pushing me along and testing levels as I went and giving suggestions, um, yeah, it definitely wouldn't have happened. So thank you, community people, for keeping us going. And, and that's what I've been looking for more and more with uh, when I, you know, eventually get to the next project with testers and and feedback it's you know i don't care if you're the best tester or you've done this or that prior to this i i need people that are motivated that are gonna that are gonna force me and this is why i like working with human thomas is that he forces me to make the best thing i can possibly make yeah and he's not afraid to tell you when something's not working (laughs) oh no he's not (laughs) god bless him the jerk um uh, but the thing with the Untitled Bubble Game, probably the most surprising thing for me was that Julius and Nicholas have things like uh, the Banana Nanda game that they could finish. They've got a few other like games they toyed with for game jams that they could have done. Uh, last we talked to them, they wanted to do an isometric game, sort of like Snake, Rattle, and Roll. And instead, we have a bubble game. Yeah, it's just it's always that chase for something new and exciting that uh, that motivates you. So I don't blame them. But I do have a question. Go for it. Is it the bubble that's untitled, or is it the game that's untitled? Title a bubble. Hmm. You go blow fifty bubbles out of a little you know bubble blower thinger majigger, and you try to name them all. Then come back to me. These are deep thoughts. I feel like uh, there's some philosophical questions being asked here. I think this is the, the questions that small children ask that we should all be asking ourselves. But enough about all of that. If you guys want to pause the episode and give that some thought and come back to us, that's fine. But there was a very big event that happened yesterday. I don't know if you saw this. I did. and I, Do you have this marked on a homebrew calendar somewhere? Uh, no, I don't, but I need to add it because if there's one birthday that we as homebrewers need to celebrate, it is Mr. Joe Parcell. Oh, 
I'd sing the happy birthday song that's under copyright, and then we will not be able to monetize this video and we'll be sued to our fans. Yeah, when I put that little clip of Madonna in that one episode, like, we got flagged, and it's like, there's like, it's like seven seconds. Come on, leave us alone. Hey, man, hey man Papa don't preach. <laughs> not, not on my but Yeah, Mr. Mr. Joe, he turned 39. No, and that, that to me is weird. So I'm going to embarrass Joe because I know he listens. Um, he's old. Just old. Yeah. He's but doing... I'm older. Well, I had I'm... no idea. Oh, yeah. He's been doing this since he was in high school. Wow. Like, and not like last year of high school, but like mid to early high school. Yeah. You can, you can find him active in the Nest Dev mailing list. 9798. Holy cow. If you want to embarrass somebody, you point to what they said and did when they were 15 or 16. <laughs> <laughs> I love Harris. Or in my case, earlier that. today. What kind of yeah. things did he talk about back at that age? Oh, you know, back in the, the mid to late 90s, the scene was different. There was no Homer scene, period. They were just trying to figure out emulation. Yeah. And Part of that was this this one fellow, uh, Pazulan, he had developed an emulator for the Mac that could play NES ROMs, but he was selling it like for profit. Mm. And I don't know if any of you know this, but most emulators today are very much free. And that yes. is thanks to the, the pushback against somebody trying to sell uh, that type of software there were a bunch of people involved. And then in the midst of like all these adults talking, this very young, very, very immature, uh, <laughs> Mr. Joe Parcell comes in and just starts hassling the crap out of this uh, guy who wants to sell his emulator. Oh man. And this is a kid who's hooking up his modem to like Microsoft works 95 and like backdooring <laughs> it to get through the internet, who has no formal training in this and is talking sure. to like PhD students. And to me, I mean, like you want to look at like early internet hacker stuff. I'm that's Joe. Uh, now, did you learn all this when you were interviewing him for the book? I interviewed him and I also read through like the 200 pages of the nested mailing list from 97, 98. Wow. Yeah, you want to learn some stuff. That's that's where you go, and it's all very interesting because you know so many people come and go. You know, you see a guy pop onto the forums, harass somebody, hassle them, just give them a Lancaster? hard time. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> uh, not interested. No, no demo. Not interested. Um, <laughs> but they do that and they disappear. But a lot of us. Uh, despite the stupid questions we asked or perhaps the dumb things we did, like we've stuck around and we've made the community what it is. I'm saying this based on some of my own stupid questions early on. <laughs> but uh, I mean, Joe's really an old timer if you're gonna if you're gonna go way back. And of course, you know, he he released the first cartridge release garage carts and and all that. And he wasn't a big deal back in you know, the very earliest days. And, uh, I, he was there and he, he stuck around. He did great things. And it's funny when I, you know, when I looked at the calendar and saw the year, 
that garage cart came out um and correct me if i'm wrong but it was, i think it was 2005 um back when i released frogger in 09 garage garage cart even at that time seemed like it was so long ago but it was only four years prior like it just seemed like it had happened so much earlier than you know the stuff that we were doing at the time and now like four years is nothing like you know i released study hall more than four years ago and that just seems like it was yesterday so it's just funny when you stop and and contextualize how long you know certain events were it is really strange when you when you start to think about stuff like that yeah i mean i've been doing this for seven years you've been doing this what 10 or 11 uh yeah this is the 11th year this is genuinely something i mean i wanted to do it and i didn't see myself stopping doing it but to think that uh i mean i could be doing this a quarter of my life in a next few years like yeah and it's it's just you you find something that one you love two you've made some of the best friends that you've met in your entire life and you get to share in creating something that did not exist or wouldn't exist if you did not take the time to put hours and hours and hours into creating this new thing so i don't know there's something really sort of magical about it and you know when we got into it we weren't looking to change our lives but our lives are forever changed definitely we need to cue some sad piano music now gary, <laughs> gary jewels <laughs> no we'll get sued don't put that in a trailer for a game but with joe though i mean that's over half of his life has been spent you know doing nes stuff and he has i I, this sounds bad when i say it out loud he has very little output to show for that uh you know he's never released really a game other than what was on the first garage card but he's done Mm -hmm. things like gt rom uh midiness a whole host of things that the rest of us wouldn't be able to do i mean he started nestev he laid the foundation to a lot of what we do today and is still pushing the envelope of what's possible and creating new technology for us to bring new ideas into fruition so i mean it's just amazing what he's doing behind the scenes that no one really ever knows about because he's not the type to want to make a big scene and say hey guys look at what i've done it's just like hey i created this thing if you want to use it here it is okay i'm going to work on something else new and exciting now and he, yeah, I mean, it's that rabbit hole of hardware always for me yep. where he just, he saw hardware, he got into it and boom, see you 20 years from now, <laughs> maybe, maybe 30. Well, we're all better off having Joe in the, in the community. So happy birthday, Joe. Thank you for everything you do. Happy birthday, Mr. Memblers. Yes. Uh, a couple new games uh, are out on Kickstarter, right? One of which is... I- Ira, the Crow Maiden? I- Ira? Hmm. Dang, they're not making this easy on us, are they? No. A game uh, being put out by Second Dimension. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, Adam, uh, who runs Second Dimension, 
uh, which always involves a sort of a rotating cast of characters. They they often do Sega stuff. But they also do NES stuff, and you know they've had some projects over the years that have been very interesting. One of them was Affinity Sorrow that was announced back in like 2011. Still waiting for it, and he's still teasing <laughs> it, still teasing it, uh, which wow. would be a Sega Genesis RPG, which is all I. I, I know this is real surprising, but this is really all I'm looking for is a new RPG. Uh, but this Who one... Who cares is, the system? Yeah, well, this one is not an RPG. Hey, I'll play a Sega RPG. I played Pure Solar, the only Sega game I've ever played, which was disappointing, but that's a topic for a different podcast that deals with <laughs> Sega stuff. So. Right. Yes. Uh, so, uh, Ira, Era, Era, Era. The Crow Maiden, we'll just call it the Crow Maiden from now on. Yeah, that's um, easy. It is programmed by Vectrix 28, maybe? Yes. Okay. Antoine, Fan- Fantius, and Sis. <laughs> Too many hard words. I swear, it's like we, we need to go back and like read through a primer here for some of this stuff. No kidding. Anyways, uh, yeah, it's programmed by Vec. It's inspired by jungle stories of yore, such as, uh, you know, Conan, the, uh, you know... Jill of the Jungle is an old PC game. And various other kind of jungle-esque... No, we're not talking jungle book. There's no Baloo here. There's no Shere Khan. This is like, you know, the adventure stories. The good yeah. stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Free and prisoners, fighting bosses, all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, and so there's been, you know, imprisoned warriors that you're freeing. You have this crow sidekick, which is always interesting to me. That's one of the reasons why I liked Aulia was you get a bird sidekick, which is always, mm. sort of, you know, you're going to tear some stuff up with that thing. You also get that in King's Quest V, but uh, sorry, it's on my little dare sidebar you, there. Sir. How <laughs> dare you, spoiler alert. And so they went about uh, the Crow Maiden, as we will now call it, uh, in kind of a back, I don't want to say backwards fashion, but they finished the graphics first, then Mm -hmm. they built the level editor, which was done by Vec, which, uh, if you look at it, looks a lot like his Space Soviets editor in a lot of ways. (laughs) It's not a bad thing. I think they're going to use it. No, if it works, absolutely. He just, he has a very distinct style of doing things. It is very like Windows 95. At least. That's right up your alley. Or at most. Uh, I didn't have a PC till like 2003, so not so much. Yeah, but you've been rocking XP since God knows when. Uh, since I got a computer in 2003, yeah. <laughs> Still going strong. But anyways, uh, yeah, Vex built the level editor, and now they're starting to lay out levels, do some designs. Uh, it, like Kevin said, it's currently on Kickstarter. You can check it out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a video, stuff like that, if you want to check it out. Uh, it's, it's done quite well. You know, it's funded within 24 hours and all that. Looks to be a pretty decent a- entry. It is an Enrom game, which I always find interesting uh, because, you know, Vec has done a lot of stuff with the MMC3 and a lot of Raster mm-hmm. effects, which cannot be done with, with Enrom so well. And, but he, you know, maybe they're focusing on gameplay and not the technical features so much. And that's, that's commendable. Yep. But you can check that out. Land Custer, there's a demo so you can be interested. Um, so I don't know if you checked out this new game that just popped up on the Nest Dev, but there is a game called Demon District. It's like a survival horror type game. Have you seen that? 
I have, and I am so excited. Yeah, like, it's very unique. Like, the music is very atmospheric. Uh, the whole sort of layout of, you know, the house, and then you're outside, and, like, there's these random upside-down star circles. What are the Oh, pentagrams, that's what they're called. Lots of crazy stuff going on. Yeah. You couldn't remember pentagram? <laughs> hey, it's, <laughs> it's 8.30, I'm old. Maybe that's a good thing. Uh, well, <laughs> if, if somebody's murdered your children and is lighting candles, it's not Kevin with a pentagram. Right, the upside down star circle thing. That's that's what no, it is. No, he, he's no threat. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, and I'm not excited for this game because it's some big flashy thing on Kickstarter or it's going to be developed in this huge thing. I'm excited for Demon District just because of what it is, which is kind of this short one take which could potentially be expanded upon but right now this is it and so you go to play it and you you kind of solve stuff uh kind of like a point and click larry or whatnot but it's played more like an rpg with movement and such there's you're not clicking cursors to move across the screen right it looks it, it looks and plays very much kind of like earthbound looks mm, looks like earthbound sure Okay, thank you. Okay, I'll give you that, I guess. That's only because of the modern <laughs> setting. But, uh Well, I mean, perspective-wise, you know, you're looking at the world from a certain perspective and you're moving the little character around. Anyways. Oh, any RPG. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's uh, the first project by a guy named, or goes by Klonoa, which I think was a PS1 platforming RPG, not a PRPG, something. Uh, but that that's his his handle, and this is the first thing he's done, and it's on the MMC one. It it's interesting. Like it brought, I don't know when when somebody does their first project, it's always kind of interesting to see if they're gonna go like epically large and never finish it, like me, or if they're gonna go like super simple and Space Invaders, or if they're gonna just go for something unique that they can do with the tools and skills they have. And that is definitely what this project was. Yeah, he didn't he say that he and a friend did it as like a school project or something, and then he decided to expand on it a little bit after the fact? Yeah, I want to go to that school. Yeah, no kidding. That would have been eye-opening. Uh, but yeah, you, you kind of like wake up in a room, you can explore things and click on things, it gives you clues, you see dead bodies... You can download it, it's free, and I mean, it won't take you very long to play it, but it has either a lot of promise for what it could become if he expands it, or she, or simply a lot of promise in terms of what he or she might do later with, you know, project number two or three. For a first project, I'm thinking it's super impressive. I mean, he's doing like background scrolling from the start, like, just stuff that you wouldn't normally see in a, in a first project. If I could have done this as a first project, you would have seen me disappear in 2014 and I would have called it good. <laughs> Pulled it off, on to the next thing. Yep. And my favorite part, though, is that I can clearly tell what furniture uh, they have in their house. Yeah. It's all clearly modeled off of Ikea furniture. <laughs> I have the table lamp. 
I have the coffee table. I can look oh, at so it. Oh, so you own you own that furniture? <laughs> I do own that furniture, and this person is Dutch. Uh, that was sort of made clear on the forums and stuff. And I'm going, well, IKEA is very close to the Netherlands, I believe. Uh, you know, Denmark mm-hmm. or Sweden or whatever. Uh, not Detroit, which is the closest one to me. But I have a lot of this furniture. <laughs> I know it. I, you know, that's the ilk bad and the, um, you know, Bergenspiel. <laughs> anyway, there, there's, you know, I liked that I could clearly see that it was modeled off of real life. That's hilarious. As always, we appreciate you listening. Uh, if you have any questions, you can, as always, send them to our email address at nesassemblyline at gmail.com. We have a Patreon uh, to all of the people who have donated to that. Thank you so much. Even the, though we're taking so long between episodes, it seems like people, more and more people are still going there to donate. So um, thank you to all of you that have done that. Um, you are helping us afford to host uh, the the podcast and we honestly couldn't with you. And if you want to get me out of hooker hotels, please contribute just a little more. <laughs> hey, the internet there is good at least. That's all you need. You don't need you don't need clean sheets or a tub. It's amazing internet. <laughs> uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at a ton of glaciers. If you want to follow Bo on Twitter, he's at Soul Goose. If you want to follow John on Twitter, he's at Peekabrews. If you want to follow Derek on Twitter, he is at Gradual Games. And what do we got for some closing music today? Uh, we have the 6502 Collective at 6502 The. Ah, yes, that yeah, uh, makes didn't a lot work of sense. Out. Didn't work out terribly well. <laughs> that's the handle. Uh, for closing music, we are actually going to feature... I. And I had to beg Julius for this, but some music from the lost NES classic known as Project P, which old time, yes, nobody talks about Project P, but it is one of the most fascinating projects that I have spent way too much time with for the for the uh, homebrew history book, and. This was before Super Bat Puncher. He was doing sort of this platformer where, which is Project, you know, P is for platformers, Project Platformer. There's some videos. Oh, so it's not, it's not Project P-E-E? Oh, nobody's pissing on anything. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Now Uh, I'm way less interested. (laughs) Oh, oh, no wet works for you. Uh, but yeah, you can actually download several ROMs, which I don't know if he intended to be leaked, but they're on Nest World. And again, this is to me that I, I don't know if this is going to make it into the book, but I've got 30 pages written on just project project P and I'm not talking like double space. I'm talking single space pages. Holy crap. Yeah, and this is this is one of the um, sections that I've had to like reevaluate what I'm doing with the book because there comes a point where nobody but me is interested in this stuff, and th- that might be that point where we go beyond page five. I don't think I could write thirty pages if I talk about every game I've ever made. Well, that's don't worry. that's crazy. Don't worry, it's getting there. 
Uh, but Project P, so I've spent a lot of time with it. And the weirdest thing to me is that in all the ROMs and all the builds that I've played of it, it doesn't have any music. And so you're just playing through the silent world. And he sent me the, the NSF file today, finally, for the music. And this is some wild stuff. This is not what I imagined. Mm-hmm. And he did this thing that a lot of devs do when I'm like, hey, can we get some music from a game? Or, hey, do you have anything you'd like to show us? And they'll just send me a file and be like, I'd kind of like you to pick this, but you can pick whatever. And I'm always like, I'm going to pick whatever. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then they'll be like, you know, don't pick song one or two because those are unfinished. And that's, that's the one you want. <laughs> no, it is. But they're also like, and these four songs are finished, I think. But I don't really remember because I haven't looked at it in like a decade. I'm like, okay, yep. so I'm just going to do whatever the hell I feel like. And we are, because of this, we're going to play two songs. Um, Ooh, switching it up. Yeah, yeah, because Julius, which he didn't do the Super Bat Punch of music, but he did the Micromages music, he is a very accomplished musician. He also had several chiptune albums we spoke about. And Yes, he has some, he has some delicious key changes. Yes, he does all sorts of cool stuff. So song number two, because he gave me no names, I'm going to describe as a pixelated nightclub. Okay. I'm just okay. going to go with that. And song number seven, uh, we're going to, I'm going to say is more of a contemplative piece, sort of like track nine from Lizard, which is one of my all time favorite uh, NES tunes, uh, the root zone theme. It is Ooh, very much zone. like, it's very much like that where I, I put it on to listen and pretty soon like a half hour had gone by and I was still listening to it. So if this goes a little long, I do apologize, but here's track two and track seven from uh, what was once known as project P. See you next time, friends.